I'm very thankful to be here this morning to be given the privilege to preach God's Word. Uh, I'm, I'm very honored. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name is Matthew Nicosia. Um, I'm a deacon here at Valley Bible Church. I'm also the director of the men's ministry, and I'm very honored to be in the yoke with all of you serving Jesus Christ. Um, Happy New Year, by the way. Now, come on now. Happy New Year. Year. 2014, we're a year closer to Jesus coming back. That's exciting. Yeah. And I I don't know about you, but I'm already wore out of people who have made a million resolutions, and I feel like I've already given up a few of them after five days. But I don't know, I I like to watch college football, and so New Year's is one of my favorite times of year because I watch a lot of college football, and uh, I had my Bible open a few times preparing for this while I was watching college football. I'm just kidding. Anyway, I turned the TV off. Uh, But you see these resolutions, and you see these people come on for advertisements talking about you lose weight, use like 100 pounds in five days or something, Uh, you lose weight. I'm already seeing uh, advertisements to do your taxes, uh, improve your life. It's a new year. It's a fresh start. Let's make a resolution. Let's press on towards something to make ourselves better. And I have no problems with that. That's fine. Chuck has already told us that he doesn't make New Year's resolutions, and that's probably a good resolution to make. Uh, don't make a promise you can't keep, right? But I'd like to point our attention to a resolution that the Apostle Paul made, and he didn't wait till New Year's to make it. It was a resolution that he made when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. His life was changed forever and ever. And the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. We'll read 15 and 16, but really we're going to be looking at Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, or maybe you forgot one, go ahead and just get out. I'm just kidding. Grab the Bible that's right in front of you. We've got black Bibles provided for you. We want you to stay. We want you to open your Bible so you can see for yourself what God's Word has to say. Uh, it's on page 832. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. And what we're going to be looking at is Paul's testimony about his desire to press on. Pressing on. And you'll see that in our passage. Why don't we go ahead and read that together? Follow along as I read aloud. Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> excuse me. Verses 12 through 16 says this. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Uh, As you can see in verses 12 and 14, there's the words there that he's pressing on, and, and I add the ing to the back of that because really it's a present tense verb. He didn't just press on once in the past. He's in a lifestyle, a continuous state of pressing on, pressing on. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Press On. Really fancy, huh? Press On. Well, the idea of press on is really to follow on, to follow after, running, pursuit as in a foot race, speeding on earnestly. So do you get the picture? 
You're following after something. You're pursuing something. You're speeding along after it. Almost, you guys get the idea maybe of a highway patrolman speeding after you because you just passed him going 80 miles an hour. I don't know. Hello. Yeah. Speeding along, pressing on towards something. I must get to my destination, and you're not going to stop me from getting there. Pressing on. Pressing on. That's what we're looking at this morning. Resolution to press on. And I hope that by the time we get to the end of this passage, you will agree there is no greater resolution in all the world than to press on after our Lord Jesus Christ. No greater goal, no greater prize than Him alone. Three things I want us to look at from this passage, however. Three aspects of this pressing on. Three aspects of pressing on. First is the foundation for us to press on. Second is the effort that we should be exerting as we press on. And finally, the focus of our pressing on. What are we trying to achieve or trying to attain? What is our focus that we are looking at? Again, three points. The foundation for our pressing on, the effort we should exert when we press on, and finally, the focus of our pressing on. Let's take a look at the first, the first point here, our foundation for pressing on. Take a look at, uh, with me at chapter 3, verse 12 again. It says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'll read that last phrase again. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The New King James Version renders that verse. It says, That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I like that rendering. Helps me understand it. He, Paul, is trying to achieve or gain or grasp or apprehend, obtain something for which Jesus has already obtained him. Already obtained him. Paul is saying this, I'm going to make every effort to seize the very thing for which I was seized. The foundation for our pursuit of Jesus Christ was that before the foundation of the world, he pursued us. He pursued us. Many times we often think that our salvation ends when we come to faith in Christ. Certainly our justification is complete. If you want an understanding of that, justification means this. God declares me, a sinner, to be right before him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the definition for justification. It is a one-time event. God does it. He declares it and has lasting effects on into the future. That's justification. It's a finished work. But Paul, in this passage, he's saying, I still have something I need to be doing. I'm going to lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. When Paul was knocked to the ground on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared before him and he said, Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul is, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? He was persecuting the church and God changed Paul's destiny. Paul was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, and now he was turned around. He was wanting to make other people Christians. He wanted to kill people that followed Christ before, and now he wanted to follow Christ with all of his heart. His conversion experience was not the end of his journey. It was only the beginning. Many of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. But you must understand, that is only the start he saved you not just to get to heaven, but he saved you to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. Perhaps many of you lived a life that 
was in enmity with God. Well, we know all of us did, right? Well, maybe it was a little more evident by the things we did than others. But all of us live when we're born in, at, at enmity with God. But God, when he saves us and he changes us, he changes our destiny from living a life of enmity with him to a life of honor and praise and glory to his name. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God changed our destiny, and he decided to do that before the foundation of the world. He changed your destiny if you've come to faith in him. He changed your destiny to running away from God and running towards sin. And now he says, I'm going to change your destiny so that now you are running toward me. You are pursuing me. You're pressing on toward me. What a change. What a change. We sing that. He made all the difference. He made the difference in my life. What a change. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's amazing to think about. The foundation of the world, long time ago, thousands of years ago, he saw you, he knew you, and he said, I'm going to take hold of that sinner. I'm going to take hold of that person that's going to hate me, and I'm going to change their destiny forever so that they won't just live a life of hatred toward me, but they're then going to turn around and live a life in pursuit of the greatest thing in all the world, and he's going to give me glory. Before the foundation of the world, unconditionally, amazing. Again, Paul, the foundation for Paul was that he was pursuing, he was pressing on toward Christ because Christ had already gotten a hold of him. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Either swipe to get there or turn pages or something, whatever it is that you've got. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is Paul writing again. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you looking back before you were saved, can say you were achieving or striving toward obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know, maybe some of you look just like the prodigal son. You're laying in the mud and the filth and the pigsty. You're covered in sin. And here you are. God changes your destiny, and now all of a sudden, your destiny is pointing in the direction of obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ. Looking just like him. Wow. The foundation for our pressing on is that Jesus Christ has already taken a hold of us. Well, let's look at the next point, the effort of pressing on. We've seen the foundation. The foundation is that first Jesus Christ grabs a hold of us. He changes us. He causes us to see who he is and believe upon him for salvation. And then we see next that we are to put forth the effort to pursue after him for all of our days. Look at verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3, back in our passage. Philippians 3, 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Isn't it amazing to see there that the apostle himself says, 
I don't consider that I've made it my own. Verse 12, again, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Paul saw himself as an unfinished product. He wasn't done. I don't know about you, but even on my best days, I'm keenly aware that I am an unfinished product. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be, and I'm getting there somehow. And we know that's through the power of the Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ. My wife and my mother and my children can tell you I am not a finished product. I'm still in process. But again, verse 13, halfway through the verse says, But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now it's interesting there. Look at that verse. I see two things, two participles there, forgetting and straining. That one or two. That's two. But he says, this is the one thing that I'm doing. This one thing, forgetting and straining. Paul, what he was doing was reaching forward with maximum effort while never looking back. Forgetting means this. This is what forgetting means. It doesn't mean that he actually forgot. The information was no longer in his brain and he couldn't recall it. But what he was doing was he was not going to allow the past to interfere with his pursuit in the future. He was not going to allow the past to interfere with his pursuit of the future, the pursuit of Christ. It also says that he was straining. The New, uh, New American Standard, New uh, King James says he was reaching ahead. He was stretching forward. It's the idea of a foot race is what it is. That's the analogy that he's using. He's using the analogy of a foot race, and the Olympics, I know the Winter Olympics are coming up next month. I love those. But if you can remember in the Summer Olympics, these track stars, guys like Usain Bolt, these sprinters, and they, they run so incredibly fast, but they know that they've got guys on either side of them, and then they must reach with all that's within them. Oh, I just pulled a muscle. They, they reach. They reach with all that's in them, and they puff out their chest so that the, they could get their body with the one final lunge to get across that finish line before the other guy. Because the other guy, he's straining too. And they're all straining with all of their might. And you could see like even the finger muscles are like flexed and everything is straining within them to get across that finish line. That's the idea that Paul is telling you there. He's saying, I'm straining. I'm pushing ahead toward Jesus Christ. Now as he's straining, can he be looking back or looking to the side? We've seen, we've seen races happen where, where guys will be in the lead and all of a sudden he can't resist the temptation. And he looks over to the side and sees his competitor and his competitor's got his gaze straight ahead. And he's, he's running forward and he's straining ahead. And that guy that's got his focus forward passes the guy that looks over to the side because for one instance, if he looks over to the side, it's going to slow him down. It's going to distract him from crossing that finish line first. So Paul is saying, I'm doing one thing. I'm straining ahead, and in the midst of that, I'm making sure I never look back. Never look back. Forgetting. Forgetting. Paul was reaching forward with maximum effort while never looking back. He strained ahead as a runner takes the last stride over the finish line while stretching as far as he could. What was he stretching toward? Christ. He was pursuing Christ. Listen to what Jesus says to a man who was called to, to follow Jesus and wouldn't. Jesus says this in Luke 9, 62. It says, uh, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
You're not fit for pursuing this prize if you keep looking back. You got to forget it. Whatever is in your past, you can't, you can't let it affect your pursuit of Jesus Christ in the future. He must be our singular focus, our passion, our drive, our pursuit. Jesus Christ. What was Paul forgetting? Did he have any hang-ups? Now, he's an apostle, right? Uh, I'm sure he probably achieved more than any of us in this room will ever achieve for the, for the glory of Jesus. So what in the world are you saying, Paul, that you have to forget? I mean, your life's been amazing. Well, Paul was first forgetting his failures. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16 says, The saying is trustworthy and during, uh, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's the apostle speaking. He said, I'm the foremost sinner. He went, goes on to say, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, I was the chief of sinners. And back in our passage in Philippians 3, it says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm not going to ever allow any of my failures to dominate my mind so much to say, you can't pursue Jesus. Look at how badly, badly you blew it. How in the world was Paul the chief of sinners? Well, for one thing, for one thing, he, he killed Christians. He was at the stoning of Stephen. That, that's pretty bad. He murdered people. Not just people, he murdered God's people. He hated God. He loved his self-righteousness. He failed many, many times and in many ways in direct opposition to the God who became man and died for him. His failures. Paul would not allow that to trip him up or to keep him back. He says, no, I'm pressing on. I'm forgiven of those sins through the power of Jesus Christ, and I'm moving on toward giving him glory. Failures. The next thing was his achievements. He would now uh, look back at his former achievements and allow them to trip him up. Look at uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, our passage. Look at verses 4 through 8. It says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He's saying, if any of you think that you've got something to boast about, if any of you have any reason to boast or have confidence in your flesh, I have more. I have more. Verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the ceremonial law of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I, I had the pedigree. I have the pedigree. I have the ancestry. You can't hold a candle to me. He goes on to talk about his achievements. He says, under the law, I was blameless. I was, as to zeal, I was, I was righteous. I was like a Pharisee. I was zealous to do everything that I thought God wanted me to do. How can you discredit that now? But look at what he says in verse 8 of Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. In other words, I forget it all. I forget it all so that I may have Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, I am pressing on and I'm forgetting my past because this means nothing. I want that instead. Failures, achievements, your pedigree. Does your self-righteousness trip you up from pursuing Jesus Christ? Are you too proud about what you've accomplished, about what you think you've accomplished to say, I'll humble myself whatever the cost, to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul didn't. He forgot it, and he moved forward. Think about Paul's obstacles. And here's a guy that was writing. He probably had scars on him, wounds, uh, bruises, okay, things that were remaining from his beatings. If you remember, he was stoned several times. He was beaten uh, for the cause of Christ. Uh, he was imprisoned. Uh, he was shipwrecked. You'd think, boy, this guy needs a vacation. <laughs> this guy needs a trip to Disney World or something like that. But is that what he said? He said, no. Uh-uh, I'm not going to allow these obstacles. I'm forgetting the obstacles and I'm moving ahead. He wouldn't allow his failures. He wouldn't allow his achievements, his pedigree, his self-righteousness, nor the obstacles that he faced to keep him from pursuing Jesus Christ. Listen to what, uh, what Paul says about the straining. That's the forgetting side. Think about this, about the straining. Philippians 2.12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You are saved, but work through it with fear and trembling all the way to the end. Listen to what he says about this race in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying, I'm forgetting and I'm straining. I must achieve the goal. I must win the prize. And in a few moments, we're going to see what is that goal? What is that prize? What is it that that he's willing to give everything up for to achieve. Why would he put himself through this? Remember Paul, in, in Acts, he, he's stoned to death in one town, and just when he has enough energy, he crawls out, and he gets up, and he walks off to the next town to preach the gospel to them. Paul, are you nuts? Are you crazy? No, he's saying, no, I'm forgetting what's behind, and I'm straining on toward the goal. I will stretch and strain and do everything I can to achieve it. This is the effort. This is the effort. And, you know, lest I, if I don't move on to the next point, we're all going to get depressed. Boy, that's hard. That sounds very, very hard. And it is. It's very hard. A life of following Christ is never promised to be easy. It's always promised to be hard. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. We've seen the foundation for pressing on. We just looked at the effort of pressing on, straining and forgetting. Now let's look at the focus of pressing on. Look at verse 14, the focus. I, Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Read it again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am pursuing crossing the finish line because I want to win the prize. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to cross that finish line. It says the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Upward, it's not of this world. So what is Paul focused on? What is he focused on? What's that goal that he's talking about? If you, if you look back again at verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own. What is this? What is it? What is the goal that he's talking about here? Well, I think he's already clarified that for us. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 3. 
says this, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What a goal. What a goal. What's he saying here? He's saying, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. And that's not just talking about pulling out his little Jesus fact card out of his pocket and say, okay, he's the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, did miracles, died a sinless life, rose again from the dead and ascended and is coming back. That's the fact card. And those facts are absolutely crucial. You must believe these facts. But that's not necessarily the only thing he's talking about here. He says that I may experience him, that I may know him and be able to relate to him. I want to know Jesus Christ. It's like meeting somebody if you're single for the first time and, and you just your heart's all a flutter. I want to know that person. I don't want to just know what they look like or know their name. I want to know them. Paul wanted to know Jesus Christ in a deeper way more and more and more every day. He says, I'm pressing on toward that goal, that goal. I want to live a life. When I finish this life, I want to look back and not say I had a great career or a great retirement plan. I want to know that I know Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I want to... Uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And really, the idea there is to f actually feel the power of his resurrection. Now, that may sound really kind of weird and experiential to you, but that's what he's saying. I want to feel the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as I'm living my daily life. I want to feel it. How do you feel it? Well, I don't love sin like I used to. I love to please him. I want to know when he came out of the grave that he defeated sin, and I want to feel that he is defeating sin in me. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live a life that's fleeing from sin because he died for that, and I want to start leading in a direction that's in his resurrection power, defeating sin. I don't love those things that I used to love. I love him now. I don't love the things that destroy me. I love the things that give me life. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. I want to feel his resurrection power as he strips the sin out of me and replaces it with something else, something that gives life. He goes on to say this about that goal in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Ooh, why did I have to go there? I wish I stopped. Sharing his sufferings. Sharing his sufferings. Now, obviously, okay, he's not saying that I'm going to go and suffer as a substitute for sins for the world. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is, I want to know that I've got fellowship with him in every experience of his life. Even when he suffered for others, I want to suffer in the same way so that others would know the great suffering that he suffered while on the cross. I'm going to suffer in a way that's just like him, not because I'm dying for sins, but because he died for sins. And when I share in his sufferings, I am boasting and giving great worth and value to him to say, look, I will suffer for him because lost and dying world, he is worth it. Fellowship with him in his sufferings, joining in with him. The goal that Paul was wanting to achieve was to know Christ, 
to feel the power of his resurrection to defeat sin, to share in the sufferings of Christ so that the world would know why he suffered, and to attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, was the resurrection something that was in doubt for Paul? He say, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I don't know yet. You know, maybe I need to have a priest come and read me my last rites. No, he was sure of it, but he, did, he said, but I'm not sure about how it's going to happen. I don't know exactly how I'm going to cross that finish line. I'm not sure how my body's going to need to be raised. Maybe it'll be torn apart by lions. Maybe it'll be boiled in oil. Maybe I'll be crucified on a cross just like my Lord. I don't know how it's going to happen, but whatever means possible, I'm going to attain the resurrection from the dead, and that's my goal. That's my goal, that when I die, I know he's going to raise this body again. In the twinkling of an eye, I, I, you know, sometimes I think it would be awesome if it, that happened on a Sunday morning. Christ returned. He split open the roof of this church building. Hopefully the mortgage is paid by then. He splits it open, and Jesus appears, and we see him coming down, and all of a sudden, all of us, all of us are changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we're made like him, and we'll be with him forever and ever. The resurrection from the dead. Well, that's that's the resurrection of our alive bodies, but there are those, that, I mean, if you're in a cemetery, when Christ comes back, look out. That is going to be some kind of scene. He's going to raise the saints back from the dead and change them in the twinkling of an eye. Wonderful. Well, Paul was, was trying to achieve the goal, the goal of a life that honored Jesus Christ. But, but why was he doing that? What was the prize? Again, I press on toward the goal that's the direction he was pointing in. But the reason he was so singularly focused was because he wanted to win the prize. That's why he would suffer to the very end. I, I'll do whatever it takes to cross that goal line because I want to win that prize. What's the prize? What's the prize? Turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. He tells us what that prize is. It says this, Philippians 3, 20, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The prize that Paul was craving and striving for and passionate about and driven for, I want to see Jesus. If I stay in sin, it's only taking me farther. I want to go that way. I want to go closer to him. I want to know him. I want to feel the power of his resurrection so that someday I'm going to see him face to face. You ever think about what that might be like, seeing Jesus face to face? Man, I'll tell you, sometimes I get tears in my eyes when I think I, I want to see him and I, I want to go touch the wounds in his, in his hands and, and in his feet and in his side to remember th those are the wounds that were, were taken from me. See Jesus, the glorious Jesus, Face to face. You know, faith is, is absolutely necessary. We know from Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. But see, faith is temporary. It's only a temporary mode to get us justified, okay? Faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is absolutely necessary. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is absolutely necessary, but it's only temporal. Someday we won't just talk about Christ. Someday we won't just believe in someone we've never seen. We will see him face to face. That is the prize. 
There's nothing to be treasured in all this world than Jesus Christ. He is the highest treasure. He is the highest prize. And so Paul said, I will forget everything and I will strain ahead. I will press on because I want to see Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. To hear that from our Lord would be the most beautiful thing in all the world. But not only that, it says that when we see him, we're going to change him because we're going to be in his presence. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you can't help but have your knees knock and you bow down and worship him. But when we see him face to face, he's going to change this body. He's going to take away all the sin, all the sickness, all the death, and he's going to give me a new body that's going to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Is that worth pressing on toward? 1 John 3, 2, listen to this. But beloved, we are God's children now. And what we, we, excuse me, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But now we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Is he a suffering servant right now? He's a glorious savior. He's the lion of Judah. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him the way John the apostle saw him on the island of Patmos with eyes blazing and and this robe of glory, we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be able to enjoy him that way forever and ever and ever. Our Savior. That's the prize. That's the prize that we're striving toward. We want to cross that finish line so that we could win the prize, seeing Jesus face to face. So we've seen this pressing on. The foundation, first of all, for us to press on is that Christ Jesus has already laid a hold of us. I hope he's laid a hold of you. I hope you know him. You're pressing on toward the wrong thing unless you first have been given the foundation of him knowing you, trusting in him as your savior. Second of all, the effort. We've seen the effort. Again, Paul is forgetting what lies behind and he's straining forward to what lies ahead. It takes maximum effort, maximum effort. You may think to yourself, oh, the holidays are over. All I want to do is put my foot up on the couch and watch the 49ers and Packers later. That's not what life's about. It's about pressing on toward Jesus Christ. The effort must always be there. Why? Why? Matt, this sounds so exhausting. This pressing on, it's exhausting. And you know what it is? I won't sugarcoat it. Pressing on is exhausting. But the focus, the focus is worth it. Crossing the goal line, winning the prize, seeing Jesus Christ for who he is. Well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this, uh, this idea of pressing on, this idea of uh, having the foundation, putting forth the maximum effort, and then finally winning the prize, the focus, crossing that goal line and winning the prize. So I was thinking about this, about an instance on a cool autumn afternoon, Sunday afternoon on October 30th, 1988. Any of you remember that? Anybody in here remember that? <laughs> October 30th, 1988. And it takes, uh, this takes place uh, in San Francisco, Candlestick Park. I know that Candlestick Park, they just had a big ceremony a few weeks ago to say goodbye to the park. The 49ers will never play there again. But the fifth greatest moment, as announced by the 49ers, in 49er history at Candlestick Park took place on October 30th, 1988. You see, it was the scene for Steve Young's miraculous run. You see, the 49ers, they were, they were fighting for a playoff position. Uh, it wasn't settled yet. Uh, Joe Montana was hurt, and so he was out, and so this backup guy comes in, Steve Young, 
all right? Some Joe Schmo, you know, Steve Young. He comes in and he takes over. And he's got, he's got the, uh, the Niners in position to win. However, they're behind. They're behind uh, only a few minutes to go, about two minutes left. They're down 21 to 17. And they're playing the number one defense in the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings. And so what happens is amazing. One of the greatest plays that I, I've ever seen. I watched it on YouTube a couple of times. I encourage you to do the same later. Hey, Niner fans, I'm trying to give you as much encouragement as I can here. Uh, so anyway, so Steve Young drops back. And I'll just, I'd love to describe it to you, but I don't think I can do any better than the great radio announcer Lon Simmons did. He said this, Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, to the 15, the 10, he dives, touchdown, 49ers. And if you see the process of this, it is not pretty. In fact, I, I got to give credit to the San Jose Mercury News. They were coming out with these uh, great moments in Candlestick. They interviewed one of the linebackers and he said, it, wasn't, it was ugly, but it was beautiful. It was ugly, but it was beautiful. And if you go back and you look at it, Young goes back and he's bumping around and the defenders are all over him and he scrambles away one way. He scrambles away the other way. He's making guys mix. He's got blockers that are taking guys out and he's going and going. And my favorite part is when he gets to around the six or seven yard line and he's about to score, he's just exhausted and he starts to stumble. And you think, oh my goodness, he's going to fall. But, but you know, and in Steve Young's mind, he could have fell and they still could have scored and won the game. But he's stumbling and tripping, and running out of energy, and he finds just one last gasp to leap and cross, uh, go across that goal line, and he scores the touchdown. And as I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking, there's a guy that saw the goal, and he was not going to be denied. He had blockers, he had tacklers coming this way, coming that way. Even his very self, his own feet got in the way, and he was about to trip up. So it is with us. We got to press on. We got Satan coming this way. We got the world coming that way. And even if we get close to the end, maybe our own flesh trips us up and we're not about to go. We feel like we're going to fall. But you know what we do? We press on. We press on. And, and, and here's, here's, it gets even better for the Niner fans. It gets even better was that Young scored the touchdown. The 49ers co uh, qualified for the playoffs. Young did not play the rest of the season. Joe Montana got back, and the 49ers won the Super Bowl. They might not have even qualified if it weren't for Steve Young pressing on and scoring that touchdown. They won the prize. They held up the trophy, and Young, in the midst of that run, I got, we got to win. We got to win. Will you show that kind of pursuit? Uh, the, the real question is this. You'll, do, you'll go to any length to pursue something that you feel is worth it. By the way, I'm going to go along because Pastor Phil called me and said, if the Niners are in the playoffs in the afternoon, test these people out. Let's see how long you can go. <laughs> so I get kickoffs like in an hour. So you give me about 50 minutes here. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't walk away. I'm kidding. Put yourself in, your, in, in Steve Young's shoes for a second. You are in his shoes. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Have you been given the foundation to pursue after Jesus? First of all, do you know him? Second of all, are you going to put forth the maximum effort that it takes, forgetting what's behind and striving and straining toward the goal? Do you have your eyes fixed on that goal line to say, I want to live a life that means 
glory to Jesus Christ so that I'd win the prize. The real question of your heart ought to be, is Jesus worth it? 2014, I wish I could tell you it's going to be easy. I could wish I could tell you uh, that you win the lottery, uh, that all your children are healthy, uh, that you have uh, your job uh, transfer you, transfers you to Hawaii or something like that. I wish I could tell you all those things were going to happen. But I don't know that for certain. You may struggle mightily in 2014. You may have trials. You may have tacklers coming this way, coming that way. You may even have your feet trip you up, your own flesh trip you up. But is Jesus worth pursuing in 2014? Is he worth it? The one who came, put on human flesh, died for your sins, and says, I want a relationship with you. Is he worth it? A few questions as we close. First of all, has Christ become the foundation for your life's pursuit? You know what? There may be some of you sitting in here today to say, you know what? I'm still in the wrong race. <laughs> I'm not even in the right stadium. I'm in a completely different race, and I'm running towards something else. In fact, later, I've already, well, while you've been talking, Matt, I've been thinking about how I'm going to go out and do my own thing later. You know, me and my boys were getting together. Got big plans later. You may have the pursuit in your mind to think that you're going to achieve your own happiness apart from Christ. But you know what the end of, is, end of it is? The prize? The prize you get is garbage. It's junk. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, I count all things as rubbish, garbage, for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Uh, you're in for a big surprise. If you're running in the wrong race and you think that there's a great prize at the end, there isn't. There's nothing but garbage. There's condemnation. There's judgment for your sin. But oh, that you'd come and make Christ your foundation today to say, I want Jesus to change my destiny. I want to get out of the wrong race. I want to get in the right race and I want to pursue him as my prize. He's the most beautiful thing in the world. He can change your destiny today. There's some of you that are that, that may have come to Christ, but you're still in the, in the starting blocks. You're still down there. You're in the starting blocks all ready to go with your face down. And some of us passed by you were like, when's he ever going to get going? When's she ever going to start straining ahead? I, I think they're saved, but, but we don't know unless we see you striving and straining and forgetting and running. When are you going to get out of the starting block? When are you going to give Jesus everything you got? When are you going to put forth the maximum effort? Get out of the starting block. Start today. Lord, I, you know, I, maybe I don't believe in this New Year's resolution thing, but I, January 5th or July 5th, it doesn't matter. I want to give you my everything, Jesus. You deserve it today. What in your past is keeping you from him? Are you forgetting? Are you forgetting your sin, your achievements, even your obstacles? Forgetting it, leaving it all behind because I want Jesus. He's the most precious thing. Are you straining? Are you putting forth the maximum effort? And think about this. How often do you think about the prize? Do you think about the prize often? You know, in, in, in our passage here in verse 14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize doesn't, doesn't exist here in this earth, uh, first and foremost. First and foremost, it exists in heaven with Christ. And you know what? I'm glad it does. Because if my prize was here, man, there couldn't be a big enough safe to lock that thing up. Because I don't want anybody stealing it. I don't want it to uh, rot. I don't want it to decay. But we've got a prize that's just in heaven where moth nor rust can destroy. Where thieves cannot break in and steal. Do you think about that prize and say, I, I can't wait till I get it. I can't wait till I see Jesus face to face. 
do you think heavenward? Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says this, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, the prize, the goal. Press on, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Are you ready to press on? Will you be pressing on presently, every day, Is Jesus worth it? Is the prize worth straining and putting forth maximum effort for? I hope he is. Not just in 2014, not just in 2015, but every year and beyond. That's why we exist, to give glory to Jesus and to one day get that prize when we see him face to face. I hope you're in the right race. Let's bow our heads close. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning, this afternoon. We thank you that you've given us a prize that can never decay. We thank you that we can have the boldness to run this race, putting forth maximum effort because you've already laid a hold of us. Our destiny is certain. We just gotta run toward it. We gotta run toward it. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here that has never made Christ the foundation for their life, I pray that you'd convict them of their sin and that they'd repent and say, I want Jesus to be my prize. I wanna forsake the sin Father, for those that are still in the starting blocks, I pray that they'd see that they need to get going, that they need to pursue after Jesus. He's worth it for getting all that's behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And oh, Father, every single one of us, I pray that you'd open our eyes, that we would see the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that we would see the beauty, the majesty of Jesus. And whatever 2014 holds for us, we would say, I'm not going to allow anything to tackle me, anything to stop me. I am pursuing Jesus. I will cross that goal, and one day I will receive my prize. Oh, Father, make us diligent people, people that are pressing on in the present and all the way into the future. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless. You're dismissed. Thank you.